0: State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Jeremy Fremont, Director of Business Development at Multidots about Gutenberg for Publishers. Multidots is a leading WordPress development agency. Through strategic partnerships, they help content publishers and digital agencies to maximize their performance.
1: Let's begin. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm I'm not too bad. Thanks. We're going to be speaking about an interesting topic. It's very specific because we're going to be not only talking about WordPress, but the application of Gutenberg and How that's going to, Jeremy's case in in presenting the benefits of that and workflows as as well around that. But before we go into that, Jeremy, I'm about to pass it over to you. And just if you can give a background about yourself and MultiDots, that'd be great.
0: Absolutely. So my name is Jeremy Fremont. I'm the director of business development at a WordPress focused agency called MultiDots. Uh, So, MultiDots, we pride ourselves on being one of the top WordPress development agencies in the world. We focus on serving large scale publishers and enterprises who have complex. WordPress needs. Um, So a lot of people come to us who have mission-critical projects, tight timelines, and our current goal of what we are trying to do is we have an ambitious goal um, for our work to be able to make an impact on 1 billion people's lives on a monthly basis. So right now, we're about 15% of that goal. And in the next three years, we'd love to be able to make that metrics because our goal here is to be able to serve people and solve problems. And so every single project that we work on, there's people that we're interacting with and they all have various levels of problems. So the way we need to do that is we need to combine heart and mind in order to approach every project to be able to allow our past experience to be able to serve the problems that they have. Um, so a lot of enterprise brands and global corporations such as Storyful, a News Corp Venture, National Association of Broadcast, Accenture, MIT—those are types of brands and companies that trust us with their website. So yeah, we're we're excited to be able to continue to follow on that mission to make the web a better place, one project at a time.
1: Indeed, and I guess with forty-three percent or forty-five percent, depending on where you rate of sites being on WordPress, that's gonna obviously help you get there closer. So.
0: that that will continue to help as long as uh, WordPress continues to go up and up as far as uh, the amount of sites that are powered by WordPress, it's going to allow us to meet that goal. And just to give some context, about 1 billion people, as of 2021, there's about 4.5 or so billion people that are connected to the internet. So we're trying to aim for making an impact about every one of four people on the planet who currently is connected online to a mobile device or an internet connection on their laptop or desktop computer. So we have some
1: pretty ambitious plans. That's awesome. Jeremy, so you said you're the director of business development, but we're talking about something more technical. So how important do you see your role in being able to communicate and being able to explain a lot of the technical stuff to maybe your clients?
0: Yeah, so across the board, I am the director of business development. And so one of the things that that lends me to is have lots of different conversations with lots of different organizations. Yeah. And my background rewind. About 13, 14 years ago, I was building websites and that's how I got started. Right. So I had no idea what I was doing in that point in time, but I said if somebody would pay me any amount of money, I would learn how. Right. And so I built websites initially using page builders. I initially got started utilizing Homestead, uh, a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And back then, I, I quickly realized that it is not the field of dreams. You don't build it and they will come. So from there, it's like peeling back an onion. I started to learn about how to drive traffic, about SEO, about pay-per-click, about best practices when it comes down to optimizing all of your on-page SEO. And so me personally, I've had an opportunity to be involved in 100-plus website builds from the ground up. And so that background and that direction and being involved in the WordPress ecosystem I think when I got started and transitioned, uh, I was only on Homestead for a matter of months. When I transitioned over to WordPress, it was, I don't know, WordPress, probably like 2.4 or something. I mean, it was a while ago. And so I have had an opportunity to, I think that's the benefit. Any client that I have a conversation with, if I'm not able to have a, a certain technical prowess and understand, at, at least at a 10,000 foot overview, from the strategic point of view, I don't feel that I would be well-suited to be able to understand if like our agency would be a best partner for their needs, right? And we're not always the best partner for every single project. And that's the beauty of WordPress being eco uh, or being um, open source. The ecosystem is so kind, so open armed to be able to bring you in. And I think that's one of the things that's allowed WordPress to grow, right? And so even if we aren't the best agency, I want to be able to identify that. And my goal is not to waste anybody's time. So when we're on the very first conversation, I always tell everybody within that first 30 minutes, I want to be able to determine if we would be a good fit to be able to start doing more of a deep level assessment or not. If we're not a good fit, guess what? I want to be able to give you a recommendation to somebody within our referral partnership that I know could do a good job for you. So regardless if we can or cannot help you, my goal for every conversation that I have is to be able to provide value. And that's even if I know that we're not going to be the right fit for them, because if they're spending time out of their day, right, most people are busy, especially now when we're being bombarded. So I want to be able to at least extend and provide some value to anybody that I connect with. And so having a, a certain level of understanding as far as the technical side, I think allows me that benefit. And just simply because I've built so many sites um, back in the day, I'm armed with a little bit more knowledge than maybe a lot of other people who would be in that kind of sales role.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I've seen successfully across any agency work world, your kind of background. So definitely it's going to help us and our audience to hear insights now. So let's jump straight into the topic. It's about Gutenberg. So what is Gutenberg for people who don't know about Gutenberg?
0: Yeah. So Gutenberg itself, if we go back in the day, right, Gutenberg itself is the printing press, right? And we're not talking about the printing press, but the same goal as far as the printing press, is to democratize publishing. And so it was a vision, and it was something that had been talked about in the WordPress ecosystem for many years before it was officially announced. And I remember sitting in the audience in Nashville, Tennessee, with about a couple thousand other people who are WordPress advocates. And Matt Mullenbeck, one of the co-founders of WordPress, announced, now is the time when 5.0 Gutenberg is going to be coming out, and it's going to be part of CORE. And right after that, people were in a frantic. People who were developers or theme builders were like, oh no, is our entire business going to be crashing down? Like, I built a theme builder. Is Gutenberg going to replace it? So the goal of Gutenberg in the ecosystem of WordPress is to extend and make publishing more accessible to more people without it having to be as development focused. So, yes, in certain instances, it is going to be essentially building. Lego blocks, if you will, about your page. So a lot of people might be familiar with Medium or Notion, the software, and each of those would be like a block system. So if you want to add in a block, for example, of a header of an image gallery, you'll have natural items that are part of WordPress core. So it has taken it from what was called the classic editor over to Gutenberg. So it's essentially the new frontier. And this transition happened around November 2018-ish. Is when that conference took place. And so every single month and every single year afterwards, right, we're now at a frontier of WordPress 5.9, right? And so Gutenberg itself has been part of the ecosystem. And the thing that I'm really excited about it is the fact that I've seen the vision come into life where at first a lot of people were slow to adopt, but those who really dove in have started to see the power. Of WordPress being more agile, in a sense where you can get more out of it, and yet you can get the ability to empower those who might not have been able to be able to be as comfortable with WordPress in the past as they are today. And it's an easy system to adopt. It's an easy system to get to know and be familiar with and be able to extend your website um, in a style that's going to match your needs. In the latest version of WordPress, right? Now you have full site editing capabilities. And so what I mean by that is full site editing, the header, the body, which was the only thing that you could control before within the block ecosystem, but now it's the header, the body, and the footer. So it gives you an ability to really have full ownership and control to be able to make modifications to the site. So you can think of Gutenberg as the digital way to democratize publishing, to empower more people to be able to publish. And build their sites. And I think one of the reasons, if we look at it as the business logic, I believe Matt Malone and the other primary members behind uh, WordPress and the Automatic Company, they were looking at the growth of companies like uh, Wix and Squarespace, just seeming to be an easier platform for people to be able to build. Some people were afraid of all the themes and the plugins and how to install WordPress. So I think it was also a way to help continue to expand the percentage of the internet that is powered by WordPress. And I think that ultimately, yes, a lot of people are scared, but most people are scared when there's something new that's introduced. But I think it's been uh, really a positive impact overall.
1: I mean, you touched upon it a little bit earlier, but you said that in comparison to other page builds and stuff that it's like code and because it's within the WordPress ecosystem, it's a lot more agile to do. Publishers might say, well, you know, I've spent so much time already on these page builders. I don't want, I'm, I'm not bothered using Gutenberg, you know, there's even like plugins in the early days of 5.1 where you you can actually add the classic editor to keep the same version and all that type of stuff. Like why should publishers still care about using that? Even if they say like, I'm I'm happy with what I have with Elementor or this type of solutions, for example. And
0: there's a lot of solutions out there. And I'm not going to he- sit here and harp on a negative fashion on, you know, Anything, Elementor, Divi, Beaver Builder, what have you, right? Mm-hmm. They all have their place in their time. But anytime that you actually add on additional weight to your site through a page builder, oftentimes you're going to have more CSS and JavaScript and, and more code that is going to be loaded, even if it's not necessarily critical to the page itself. So, publishers, the reason that a lot of publishers are ditching the page builders and going for native WordPress sites is because they want to be able to be conscious of how do they actually have a little bit more advantage when it comes down to page speed and performance. Also enhanced security, right? The more plugins you have, the more different themes, all of those have to be constantly up to date, right? And yeah. if you don't have your WordPress instance up to date, people actually have a negative connotation sometimes when they think of WordPress because they say, oh, it has security flaws. Well there's ways actually to get around those security flaws if you actually this have episode they, a episode managed platform to you by State of on like WordPress and network for digital they're going to be publishing. They're giving a lot of those updates for become you as so a member you can and receive access to those exclusive insight issues but Reports. publishers what I've How-to seen is have ditched Ready page templates. They're going all the resources for digital most publishers. Nimble. How to have the Click, highest level of performance that they possibly can on their site and they're also looking for a way to extend the details of the editing experience so that it's streamlined throughout. I've seen a lot of publishers who might have actually have a mix between some classic editor, some that are on Elementor. Um, And so everybody doesn't have a clear understanding of what that publishing workflow looks like. So then it takes longer to publish. You produce less content. It costs more money, physical time of those editors, taking the time, energy, and effort to be able to change things. And if everybody's just using one platform, You can come up with systems and processes, especially in a distributed world that we're at now, so that they can publish as quickly as possible, know that their website is the least bloated, so that they can actually meet and match some of the core web vitals instances, which is going to give them an SEO advantage, get more traffic, get more eyeballs, increase their actual ad revenue, or their affiliate revenue if they're in performance marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why publishers are choosing to make the investment, go through that learning curve, and really. Dive into Gutenberg and the native version of WordPress in today's day and age. That's what I've seen from the conversations and the publishers that we happen to be able to serve.
1: There's a report from HTTP Archive I shared with you a little bit earlier about the performance of each of the CMSs. It seems like WordPress is gradually improving its core web vitals. Do you think Gutenberg has been a reason why that's been a slightly improvement, from your opinion, or is there overall advancements around that, and, and why they're still lagging?
0: Yeah. So I think uh, across the board, Gutenberg is going to be one of those big reasons why you've seen an uptick. And I would look at WordPress as far as the ecosystem as one that is following the Kaizen methodology, right? It's going to be constantly improving. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of the ecosystem of WordPress is that you have lots of different people, uh, including a lot of the members directly from our team at multidots who are core contributors. So core contributors, every single version of WordPress, there's hundreds of people from around the globe we're contributing to the next version and the next release. Yeah. I believe that if we look at that graph in a long enough duration, that WordPress will come out to Excel. And one of the other things that I didn't touch base on, you, you asked, like, why would somebody switch? Well, every single platform, regardless if it's Magento or Sitecore, you get that version that you are on depreciated or sunset at one point in time. It's not going to constantly be supported. So just like the classic editor, which now has been extended for another year, the classic editor, if you're still on the classic editor of WordPress, at one point in time, you'll be forced to either make the switch or be on limbo in making certain that your site is still going to be as compatible if you're on an old Classic editor, if it's not already on Gutenberg. So I think that's another reason why publishers are making the jump. Instead of being reactive, like, oh, I have to, I have three weeks before I'm doing it, it's better to be proactive because then you have time to train your editorial staff. You have time to be able to actually make the changes on your own schedule. It also, a lot of the times, if you have a tight deadline project, that balloons the cost, right? So if you want to be the most conscious of cost, time, energy, and effort, and to give your editorial team the best ability to get trained on a system so everybody's comfortable, I think that's another thing to be able to look at. Um, So I do say in the long run, um, WordPress is going to continue to increase. And especially if you are, I mean, all projects that we develop, we develop off of a WordPress VIP minimum coding standard. How your code is built is going to affect the performance of your site. So a lot of people come to us and they say, oh, WordPress, you know, it's so slow. We'll open it up. There's 50 plugins. They have three different page builders. Two of them aren't going to be used, and 20 of the plugins are deactive, but they haven't deleted them. Well, guess what? You've got a whole bunch of stuff that's actually being deployed on every single page that's being loaded. Plus, they have a whole bunch of GTM tags and everything like that. Scripts from Facebook, a widget over here for a chatbot that was depreciated five years ago, and they just forget about it. Right? So clean code, the foundation, the baseline like that makes a difference of the core web vitals. So it's about doing spring cleaning and being conscious of how your site's built from the ground up. If you really want to be able to have solid page speed, solid security and meet core web vitals. I think only like 18% of the internet right now is meeting core web vitals and it's a pass yes or a fail score. Right. Um, and that's what I love about core web vitals. It doesn't give you like, Oh, I've got a 70%. It's like, okay, you're either passed or you've either failed. So it's really clear. It's on, it's off. It's black, it's white. There's no questions.
1: Yeah. It just forces people to just do the, the thing that you have to do. The thing about page builders is that when they're created, they have their own code that's injected and you can't really like port that content over to other page builders or something like that. Is that the case for Gutenberg as well? And like, let's say if you change your theme one day, is that whatever you've put in the Gutenberg blocks, is that still going to be there? to be you know, sustainable and for people to build their websites on good and bad.
0: Yeah, you're, you're going to have that flexibility to be able to change themes and have those modifications and be able to have control, right? Even if you have um some of the page builders, as you were talking about, and there is that risk of saying like, if I change, it's going to take a lot of time, energy, and effort for migration. Well, even in certain um, cases, Divi is one of the culprits that's actually known to be like the hardest to change. We've migrated Divi sites, but yeah, we had to build a custom script in order to migrate over. So it's still possible. It just might not be as easy as possible with some builders. But Gutenberg itself, it's going to allow you to have that flexibility. And you're not going to run into that same difficulty of being able to change themes and have to do a lot of heavy lift in order to be able to do that. Um, so I think that's the beauty of using as much native elements of WordPress as you possibly can, because it gives you the most flexibility and the most scalability for the long-term future.
1: What are some other things you've seen that help publishers that can help them realize the potential of Gutenberg?
0: Mm-hmm. So if you're a publisher, oftentimes you're going to, let's say a publisher or somebody in the marketing team. So let's look at both right? You're going to have certain types of content that you're going to be usually reproducing with the highest amount of frequency or redundancy. There's going to be some one-offs, but where you're going to get the most efficiency is thinking about the types of pages or content that you produce the most often. And so if you identify, let's say 80% of the types of content that I'm going to be producing fall in this silo. So let's say that you are a growing SaaS company. And you're growing from 40 people to 90 people on your marketing team over the course of the next year because you've just got some funding. So now you're going to be producing lots of different landing pages. And those landing pages, you're going to be driving lots of different traffic to from lots of different sources. Those landing pages will have a lot of similar elements. So let's say the top is going to be the header element. And there's going to be a call to action button that's going to be there. And then down below, there's going to be some statistic boxes, some credibility items. So what you can do is you can actually have a pattern that you create, and it will be a pattern that you can choose from. And think of it as like building blocks that have already been put together that follow a certain flow. So now what you can do is you can choose a specific pattern. And let's say that you have five different ones that are built with their own unique flavor for the different industries you serve. So now the person on the marketing team chooses a pattern. It has all of the foundation built for them. They don't have to think about building it from scratch. And now all they have to do is they have to change out the lorem ipsum dolum, So the placeholder text, the placeholder images, the placeholder credibility details. And now it empowers them to be able to produce a brand new landing page that they need to <laughs> in 20% of the time before what they had to do is they had to actually make a request over to their design team. The design team had to actually build it out, And then it had to go over to development. And then development on their custom CMS, they had to go and build it. So it might be like two weeks. So two weeks in order to be able to produce a new landing page for let's say an event that's right around the corner, that's two weeks that you haven't been able to drive traffic, right? So if we know the types of content or the types of blocks We can build reusable blocks or patterns that are built to match your brand look and feel and identity. The other thing is large-scale companies and enterprises want to give power to their marketing and editorial staff, but at the same time, they don't want to give too much power. So Let's say that your brand colors are blue, purple, and gray. Mm -hmm. You want to keep all of your color scheme around blue, purple, and gray. You don't want one of your editors to add in a new button and that button to look like it's yellow, right? So you can build in governance to the blocks. So now you can change colors, but instead of having the rainbow of colors, you can actually choose from your three brand colors. So now it gives more confidence to the organization to empower their teams to be able to publish quicker, faster, and more inexpensively. And so when they're making an investment and you actually spend time, I think this is where a lot of agencies miss the gun or maybe companies miss the gun, is they're really eager to get started on a project right away, but they, they skip the planning phase. They don't have a, a well-written scope of work document that maps out how you're going to build everything. So any large-scale project that we do, we produce you know a 40 to 80-page scope of work document that says, here's how we're going to build every section. Of the site. Here's the module we're going to build. Here's the custom Gutenberg block that we're going to build. Here's the functionality. Here's the third party API we're connecting into in order to pour all the information from all these forms into Salesforce. So we understand that. And having that blueprint allows everybody to sign off on it to be able to be confident of the new build before you get started. Another thing, I mean, and this is WordPress by itself, right? But you can build in custom user roles. So let's say that you have. A lead editor. And let's say underneath of them, they have five different members of their team, of their editorial staff that actually are allowed to publish content. And then you have a row of 30 different writers that are all around the globe. So you want the writers and the editors to be able to go in and create new posts or articles, but you don't want them to be able to publish. Yeah. So you can actually build in that editorial flow so that you have the editors. Um, that have the right user role to be able to actually review and publish itself. You also can build in different details to be able to publish at a a certain future date. Another big thing when it comes down to the publishing world is Google loves fresh content. And sometimes it takes a lot more time, energy, and effort to constantly produce brand new fresh content than it does an old piece of content that you could go back and refresh. Mm. So if you have your original publish date, and then you have Latest update date, you're going to give Google things that they like. And another thing that I didn't touch base on is this is a feature that we hope one day to be able to help integrate into WordPress core. But we built anybody who's familiar with Google Docs. A cool thing about Google Docs is you edit one piece of content. You could have multiple editors editing at the same time or leaving comments. So a lot of people use, you know, like, contently as far as. Producing or creating content. And then you would need to move your content over and pull it in to WordPress, right? Either through an API or some people copy and paste.
1: Yeah.
0: So, what we built is we built uh, what's called MultiCollab, M U L T I C O L L A B. It's a WordPress Google Doc style editing commenting plugin for WordPress. So, right now you can comment, but you're commenting right within WordPress itself, yeah. right? And this Is built in if you're utilizing Gutenberg, you can take advantage of it. Right. And so we have some publishers who love the process because it allows them to get rid of this whole third party system that they're using. In the distributed team, this really makes more of an editorial efficiency because then you can comment back and forth and leave it in draft state within WordPress. And then you can have all your comments, you can get all of your approvals, and then you're good to go without having to use a third party tool. So it can actually help cut down on licensing costs. It can allow everybody just to know one platform instead of several. Um, So things like that actually empower
1: editorial staff even further. I think that's very exciting. And we're going to add that link into the notes.
0: This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more.
1: How do you think everything is going so far in general? I know you said that a few clients were excited about that. The second thing was around, you know, this is like sort of like another alternative to, like, you know, WordPress is an ecosystem of plugins. Like, do you think there'll be an ecosystem of blocks that would also be created, like alongside plugins? And what are your thoughts around that?
0: Yeah, great question. So let's uh, tackle the first point first, which is around multi colab and how we see that it's going and what we see as far as happening next. So number one, like any piece of software, we released with a small beta group, right? And that beta group, we allowed them to utilize it before it was ready for public release in order to see what they liked, what they disliked, make certain that we fix all the bugs, make certain that it's a stable um, version before we put it into the ecosystem of WordPress. One of the things that we were really excited about is we're a gold WordPress VIP agency platform, which is a platform specifically for large-scale brands who care about speed, performance, and security. We also are the only agency that is both a technology partner and an agency partner. So we actually have had them reviewed the code to make certain it meets all of their criteria as far as security, code build, and quality. And so now, what we've done is since it's now live and being utilized from multiple different organizations, we've conducted and we're in the process right now of actually conducting surveys with all of the clients who are using this. And we're collecting that data. So, from all the data that's being collected, we should have that done within the next, I don't know, maybe 45 to 60 days. We're going to take whatever has been surfaced to the top as far as the highest priorities, as far as requests or wants. And then we're going to integrate that into the next version release. So what we see is we see, instead of it just being a commenting functionality, we would love to be able to see, just like Google Docs, where two people are editing. Like, I'm going to take the first three paragraphs, and I'm going to take the bottom three paragraphs, and you can have two editors editing at the same time. So really, if we look at what Google Docs can do, we see equipping now the foundation Mm-hmm. of our plugin to be more Google Doc-like in the future and be able to implement the client, the needs and the request from everybody who's using it right now as far as what they desire in order to best streamline their editorial efficiency. Because we we don't want to build what we want. We want to build what's going to serve the needs of the audience.
1: How soon do you think they'll become mainstream, the collaborative?
0: I mean as soon as it would become mainstream would be if we can actually, and uh, if uh, Matt Mullenbeck or anybody else happens to listen to this or any large scale publisher, the sooner we can have conversations and see how we can uh, move it forward to be able to get it out to as many people in the world. I think that's when it would become mainstream right now. It is on dozens of sites. Uh, I don't know the exact number of sites Mm -hmm. that it is on being utilized, but I'd say before it's a mainstream feature, We're talking at least a couple
1: years down the road. To the point on the blocks having like its own block ecosystem that people can download or consume that's publicly available. Like what are your thoughts around that?
0: Yeah. So just like you have a plugin ecosystem. So there are different organizations who are building themes, right? That are block-based themes. And so one of the things in the state of the word that Matt made mention of just in December of 2021, was the goal and the excitement is to build that ecosystem of people who are developing more block repositories, more mm-hmm. themes that are built onto blocks. And I don't know the exact number, but I think native blocks that are integrated into WordPress right now covers you know between 80 to 90. And this could be like a paragraph block, an image gallery, a paragraph block, title, things like that. But there's a whole bunch of other repositories that are already out there. The thing that I would actually caution, just like plugins, make certain that you're vetting whatever blocks that you're using. If you do find a repository, go through and look at the credibility of you, know, the developers. Make certain that it's going to be around and be supported for the long term. That's always an important piece of the puzzle. When you're working with anything open source, is you have to do your due diligence to make certain that it is going to be of a certain quality in order to be able to make certain that you are protecting security and performance of your
1: site. So if someone's going to start considering using multi-collab or creating an editorial workflow, what are the steps for them to get started on doing that?
0: So step number one to get started, I think, uh, is if you haven't actually ever experimented or demoed Gutenberg, is understand what it is, Right. Because unless people and it's really hard through a podcast like this, because Gutenberg, in order to demonstrate it, it's so visual, right? Like you can think of like, oh, blocks, I'm going to go buy a Lego set, and I'm going to build these blocks. Well, that's kind of similar. But unless you're actually demoing it through the visual and playing with it, right? Um, So if you just type in Gutenberg demo on Google or any sort of search engine, one of the very first things that's going to be coming up is WordPress.org. Is going to actually have a Gutenberg editing experience, and it's going to allow you to try WordPress. So when you're trying WordPress, when you're playing around with it, the main thing that you should be looking at is in the upper left-hand corner. There's going to be a blue square with a, a plus sign, and that's where you're going to be able to toggle the block inserter, and that's where you're going to be able to see all these different blocks. So. Go on to wordpress.org forward slash Gutenberg, and that is G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G, which I'm very proud it's called Gutenberg because my wife is German, so Gutenberg. So across the board, play with it. See what it can do. See if you like it. And then once you actually start seeing the power of it, the other thing that a lot of publishers like is they didn't like the content, the classic editor, because they felt it was too messy. I'm not a writer myself, but a lot of writers run into writer block when they have distractions. So you can do a full-width distraction-free editing experience. So you can just focus on what it is that you're writing. And that Mm -hmm. helps writers get into a better writer flow, which I think is another thing that empowers more publishers to want to use Gutenberg if you are not already. Because the fact that if you can empower your writers to produce, let's say, 10 or 20% quicker, because the fact that they're not distracted by other things on the screen, that's going to help increase your bottom line and grow your business.
1: Now, you know, you spoke about the fact that you speak with a lot of stakeholders with publishing companies. What's the main conversation? Who has to have the conversation about switching over to Gutenberg or any other page builder or blog, whatever they want to decide to do? Who is the right person to do that, to champion that, and to make sure it's done effectively, That make sure that it's achieving everything that everyone wants to get across? Yeah, so
0: I think one thing that's drastically important, oftentimes the people that are having conversations with us are going to be like the CMO, right? Chief marketing officer, Mm -hmm. um, CTO, chief technology officer, is getting everybody who's within the organization on the same page. Because if everybody's on the same page beforehand, so depending on the size, if there's multiple different editors, what we always try to do is we try to conduct an editorial. Audits and understanding and survey before we start the project. Because if people have been using the same, let's say, custom built CMS for the last decade, there's certain tool sets and there's certain flows that they just know and they like. So if they like something, you don't want to remove it and strip it away because now everybody's going to be angry. Human beings, we don't like change, right? Why was there so many people's up in arms in that auditorium right after that 2018 Gutenberg announcement? 50% 50% of the people, I interviewed 50 plus people with team members from Yoast, and conducted live interviews, interviewing people. Are you excited or are you not? And if people just get thrown a brand new, here's the editorial experience without them being part of it and understanding, they're going to be angry. They're going to be frustrated, right? So getting everybody on the same page is step one and helping to understand that what you're going to be building is going to actually meet the goals of the organization to be able to help them run more efficiently. Yeah. So if there's just a few people at the very top making a high level decision, and then all of a sudden, nobody knows they're in the dark, and then it's just flipped on one day, people are going to scramble, and it's not going to help increase efficiency. It's actually probably going to cause a big dip, because people are going to be scrambling. So having the proper training, having the proper discussion beforehand, and getting people involved in the Collaboration Mm -hmm. of the initial build. And then, of course, there's going to be only a few stakeholders who are going to be making the same decisions. But being upfront and just opening up the dialogue, I think, is a, a drastically important step because there's been certain custom functionality pieces of CMSs that the editorial team loved. And then we've had to customize WordPress in order to be able to build out, let's say, a particular way to meet and match the needs of galleries that are being added in, where This particular publisher that I'm thinking off the top of my head, you know, 80% of the content that they produced had big galleries, and they needed to be able to know where the images were used, how often they were used, where it came from as far as the source. So we had to customize right the media element, which unfortunately has been forgotten about for a long time in WordPress. It was like a project that started and then kind of stopped. So it's maybe one of the things that uh, hasn't been addressed as often as it could, but That's the beauty. WordPress, you can customize it and you can meet those needs. And we would have never known unless we conducted that in-depth editorial survey before we started the project to understand what their workflow looks like now and what their optimal workflow looked like. In that conversation and case study, there was one thing that was positive and about 20 things that they hated. So now we needed to make certain not to repeat the things that they hated, but to bring solutions to the table and to figure out how we could actually build something that's going to empower their entire team and organization from the ground up.
1: I guess the fundamental question still is, who should be leading this? Is it the CTO or the CMO? Is it marketing or is it tech? It
0: depends who is the website owner. Sometimes the website owner, that's a question that I always ask. Who has ownership of this website? Sometimes with certain organizations, it's the marketing team. The marketing team, they say, we're the owner of this site. Other organizations say, hey, it's this dev team. They're the owner of the site, right? Other organizations say, hey, it's going to be the person who is in charge of editor, like the chief of staff or chief of editorial staff, right? So it depends completely on the organization. Whoever is the owner of the website in that organization should be the one who spearheads the approach to be able to take the next steps to be able to consider if Gutenberg is a good fit or not for that
1: organization, why do you think it varies so much? Like, is it just because of the the revenue model that they have? Or like, you know, why do you think that the owner might vary between publisher companies?
0: It varies simply because of company culture. We all are unique human beings and every company um is very, very unique. So I think it's uh, the company culture of who's been put into that particular peg and that block as far as that role.
1: Um
0: so I think that's what it really comes down to.
1: With the editorial order that you mentioned, is that something that you do? Pre-sales or like you do that once you start working with them on the project before you do the implementation and the surveying all that stuff?
0: It's, it's part of the implementation. So our standard process is we go through a discovery phase where we build out the scope of work and then we're going through and doing the implementation. So starting with the tr- strategy um, in the very beginning, making certain that we're dotting those I's and crossing those T's and then yeah. actually moving forward with the implementation.
1: I appreciate the clarity on that.
0: This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn
1: more. Going back to your roots on trying to figure out how to grow traffic and your tactical experience around that, how can we better utilize a Gutenberg in applying that? I know we spoke about indirectly, better usage of Gutenberg and help with indirectly with SEO, core virals and stuff like that. But what are some of the other tactical things across other channels you think will benefit to drive traffic?
0: Well, I mean, driving traffic, I still look at content being king, right? So if you're not producing quality content, people aren't going to be spending time or wanting to come back and continuously read, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, Number one, in order to grow in order to grow traffic, and traffic then leads to more eyeballs, more eyeballs can lead to more revenue opportunities, more acquisition opportunities. several organizations that we've started with start with being relatively small with a, a couple of sites, then they build up and then they get to a point where they're on the eyeballs and the radars of you know other venture capitals or larger scale organizations for acquisitions. So I think making certain that you. Empower your editorial team in a fashion that gives them joy and makes it as easy as possible to produce quality content is going to allow you to continue to scale your publication organization in a fashion so that you can continuously grow. Another thing is, depending on what your revenue model is, mm-hmm. paywalls, right? Paywalls and adding in the subscription model is another way a lot of scale, a lot of publishers, right? We we went from a day and age where. Publishers would have subscriptions and you physically would get something, a physical copy on your doorstep every single week. Yeah. That's not the model we live in. So now digital publishers, you need to be equipped with a smart and efficient item that's going to match the business needs. And you can set up, you know, paywalls on your digital publication that are going to empower. And I think also the cool thing about digital is you can have all the data to track it and you can test a lot of different offers to different audiences or personalization for your segments based on the types of content that they're going to be reading. If you see that certain audience members are based in a certain geographic area, are drawn to certain types of content, um, that's another big thing. Analytics, having proper analytics like Parsley is an analytical tool that just increases your scope of what's working for you on specific pieces of content a lot more so than like a, a Google Analytics. Um, I know GA4 was just released um, across the board. I haven't experimented with it enough myself to honestly know. Um, but there's just certain you know dark spots where you're kind of with the blinders, unless you're really taking analytics seriously. And I think that's the benefit of um, digital. Understand what's working. And if you spend the time, energy, and effort to go through your analytics, double or triple down on the things that work, if things aren't working, don't continuously keep producing that same type of content because it's not going to help you grow um, your revenue stream.
1: No, absolutely, publishing business is a content business, so you're speaking to the heart of all editors out there, essentially. So, thanks for that. Do you have any final words or advice that you can share with our audience on this, on the subject we spoke about today, or anything you think that's really important to consider for the WordPress ecosystem?
0: So, I would say across the board for anybody who is out there who has not necessarily thought about the impact of your CMS to the business, I'd say come to it with a fresh open mind to be able to explore and experiment because you might just be surprised of what you find. If you were to be having this conversation a decade ago, the largest brands in the world were not powered by WordPress. A lot of them built a, a proprietary CMS from the ground up to meet their needs. Yeah. Nowadays, we're seeing a transition of a lot of the largest brands come over because of the fact that now there are tool sets and systems that are going to be tackling a lot of their needs. And WordPress can meet more of those needs than they ever thought possible. So it can help you lower your cost, add efficiency, and be able to scale up your business. And I think one of the things that I love about WordPress is if you've never been, once you can go in person again, try to go to a WordCamp. WordCamps happen locally all the way around the world. Super inexpensive, $50 or less. In order to get a weekend surrounded by people in the WordPress ecosystem, I'd encourage everybody to do that. My very first WordCamp, I was used to spending a $1,000 to go to a conference. And I was openly brought in with open arms to a wonderful, beautiful ecosystem where people are just so open and willing to share. Go check that out. And if that doesn't change your mind about the community of WordPress, then WordPress is probably not for you. So once WordCamps happen, look for one locally, go there. It'll give you information from very beginner level all the way up to very expert level. It's very inexpensive, and it will give you an awesome introduction to who the people who power WordPress and who are part of that ecosystem.
1: Thanks for that. And I know for WordCamp myself as well, like whenever they want the volunteers, there'll be like too many more volunteers to wanting to take part in the event. So Jeremy, with that, thank you so much for the insights, your feedback on Gutenberg. Again, like we're not trying to sway people to do one or the other, but it's good to get your perspective on that. Thanks so much.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and the State of Digital Publishing. Appreciate you all. Have a wonderful day. You too, Thanks. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.